you have your Bible, we're in Luke chapter 16. We're going to finish up that chapter this morning. Uh, it's going to be in verse 19, read through 31. The bulletin will be helpful. It's got sermon notes uh, in there. That'd be great. So uh, this year, Kyrie Irving... Uh, the point guard for the NBA champion, Cleveland Cavaliers. That's Ryan's favorite team, by the way. Uh, he made a lot of news this year, and, and not just for his play on the court. Actually, the most news he made was right around the All-Star break when he uh, declared that the earth was flat. That's right. That's right. He, he said he believed that the earth was flat, uh, that we had been lied to all this time. Now, some people, Ryan included, thinks he's joking. He, you know, he went to Duke although he only stayed for a year. Uh, but he still has not recanted in, in any means. And, and so what happened at the All-Star break was this great stir. Instead of just talking about basketball, all these scientists got on Twitter uh, to rebuke Kyrie for his beliefs uh, about science. And, and, and one of them, the loudest, uh, of course, was Bill Nye, the science guy, uh, which you can argue whether or not he's a scientist. But uh, So Bill, Bill Nye uh, posted a video on Twitter, and he basically, what he said to Kyrie was this, that's dangerous. It's really dangerous what you're doing to laugh off or to joke about the fact that the earth is a, is a fear. It's dangerous because you're rejecting scientific authority. You're rejecting all the hard work that scientists for years and years and years and years and years have put in to their understanding of our planet and our world. And, and, and you're rejecting all of the things that hinge upon that. And, and, and that's the heart of his argument was really uh, that Kyrie's rejection of, of scientific authority could be dangerous. And, and there's some merit in that, right? I mean, think about it for a second. So you, you know, it, we know that there's a thing called gravity. Uh, in fact, scientists would say that gravity is kind of the glue that holds our whole universe together, that everything uh, in, in in space has a gravitational pull. And so now you could choose to reject all that if you wanted to. You could choose to reject the authority that, that scientists claim that, that gravity has over us as beings. And you could climb up a 20-story building and jump off if you wanted to. But that would, that would end tragically for you. Your rejection of authority would lead to a terrible end. And, and today we're going to read a story of just such a man and I warn you, it might be one of the most disturbing accounts in all of Scripture, okay? So do this. Let's pray together before we jump in and read Luke 16 together. Father, we thank you so much for loving us, and we thank you so much for being here. And uh, man, we are thankful for your blood, Jesus. We are sinners gathered here today. I'm the chief. And Lord, we need you. Salvation was not a one-time thing when we walked down an aisle at some point in history. It is a moment-by-moment -moment thing that we need every day. Jesus, save us from ourselves. Save us from our sin. Save us from our wayward ways and thoughts and actions. Holy Spirit, we invite you in now to step back and we ask you to come and to lead us and to teach us. Teach us the ways of this great Jesus, our Lord, the King of Kings. Teach us his ways, write them on our hearts that we may be changed. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen. 
Luke 16, starting in verse 19, says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham. Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Three things I'm going to share with you quickly this morning. Uh, Here's the first. I want you to see this morning that if you live like this life is heaven, there could be hell to pay. It's really the theme of, of, of this text, guys. It, it, if you walked away with one point, it's the truth. If you live like this life is heaven, there, there absolutely could be hell to pay. Hear me, this is a story about self-indulgence in the face of other sufferings and what that says about our view on Scripture. That, that, that's what it's about. So, so let me paint the picture for you. There is a rich man. That's where you say, how rich was he, right? Okay, there was a rich man. That was terrible, friends. Do you not know how these things work? Okay, there was a rich man. Man, he was so rich. No, I'm not going to tell a joke. But he, 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 was, he was extremely rich. And so the text tells us some things. It says, one, he was dressed in, in, in fine uh, purple clothes. Now, that's talking about his outer garments. So his outer garments were made of, of, of purple fabric. Now, that fabric, uh, according to, to historians, was made somehow uh, using snails. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. Okay, But it was extremely hard to make, and it was extremely expensive. Now, his inner garment, uh, his tunic, it, it, it says, was made of fine linen, probably uh, Egyptian cotton. Again, extremely expensive. And the text says that he lived, our text says he lived uh, in luxury every day. There's a problem with that, and I'd be terrible translation here, because it's not the word live. In fact, it's not even one word. The, the, the text actually is two words. It's two words in the Greek that King James would translate it this way, uh, that he fared is the first word, and the second word, sumptuously, every day. He fared sumptuously every day. Now, the first word means that he rejoiced or he made merriment every single day, and the second word, sumptuously, it means splendidly, magnificently. It's talking about not just sumptuous living, but also sumptuous dining. 
That's the contrast. He's dining sumptuously every day, and, and, and then we have Lazarus. So, so this man, every single day of his life, uh, was a feast, was a party. It was full of friends and food and drink and merriment and joy. Meanwhile, while he is experiencing these daily banquets, there is a beggar outside of his gates that is literally starving to death. His name is Lazarus. And, and the beggar is starving to death because, as the text implies, this rich man never once shared a crumb from his table with him, not one time. Now, now it goes on, it says, both men died, and when Lazarus died, when the beggar died, he is taken up to Abraham's side, and when the rich man died, he's buried. Probably great pomp and circumstance, probably a beautiful funeral, uh, but he ends up in hell. He ends up in hell, and uh, the text says, in hell, he's in great anguish. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this, why did he end up in hell? Why did he go to hell? Did he go to hell because he was rich? Is that why he's in hell? Now, you've got to be careful here because if you read the text, it would seem like Abraham says to him, listen, you received everything great in life. He received nothing. Now we've changed that. Some bad theology has come out of this passage where, where some people in our world think just because they have suffered in life, they're automatically going to go to heaven and they're automatically going to get a great mansion and they're automatically going to be blessed. And, and friends, I'm, I'm, here to tell you, Laz, uh, I'm here to tell you the rich man did not go to hell because he was rich. That's not why he went to hell. Otherwise, all rich people would go to hell. Now, Jesus says it's more difficult. We'll talk about that in a second for rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But all rich men do not go to hell. So it's not because he was rich. Well, well then maybe he went to hell because he didn't share of his possessions. Maybe, maybe that's right. I mean, that, that's why we teach our kids at an early age, you've got to share your toys. Now, share your toys. Maybe that's why we teach that, because we're afraid they're all going to go to hell because they're selfish, right? Uh, no, he actually didn't go to hell because he didn't share either. That's not the case. That would be a works-based salvation, okay? Uh, that's also really, really bad theology. And like we said last week, um, sharing our possessions, while important, has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with rewards, in heaven, not with salvation. So why did the rich man end up in such great torment in hell? The text actually tells us here at the end of the story. Look at verse 27 through 31. He answered, I uh, beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. You see, this man, like his family, did not believe what the Bible declared about God. He was unrepentant. That's the key word. He was unrepentant. He begs, if somebody from the dead goes to them, they're going to repent. And the implication is, he says, if someone from the dead would have come to me, then I would have believed. Then I would have believed. Then I would have repented. He's unrepentant. This man has never believed in God. He has never seen himself as a sinner in need of a Savior. In, in, in his life, he was his own Savior. He provided for himself everything that he needed. He had no need for anything else, he thought, until he breathed his last breath and found out he was wrong. He is in hell now because he neglected all that Scripture had told him about his sin and about his need for a Savior. You see, his lifestyle, his self-indulgence in the face of the suffering of others was just a sign. 
It was a reflection of his real problem. It's been said, uh, if you want to really know what a man believes about the Bible, look at his bank account. (laughs) There's some truth in that, because how we spend our money is a reflection. It's not the thing itself, but it is a sign. It's a reflection. Do we believe in God? Do we see God as provider? Do, do, do we see ourselves simply as stewards? We talked about that last week. Do, do we seek to be faithful in all that God has loaned to us? Because it's all on loan. Uh, do, do, do we see ourselves as God's hands and, and feet here on earth? Do we see ourselves literally as channels through which God wants to bless other people? Do we take seriously uh, God's call to store up treasures uh, in heaven? Listen, those things don't save us. But they do often show us what we truly believe about Scripture. And that's what's going on here. The way this man spent his life, living for himself, living sumptuously, it was a sign of the true problem. And the true problem was that he had never trusted God. He was unrepentant. He was unrepentant. If you live like this, life is heaven. There may be hell to pay. Okay? Two. Two, hell is real, it is terrible, and it is irreversible. said at the beginning that this may be the most disturbing passage in all the Bible, and the reason why, this is the only passage in all of the Bible that we see what somebody in hell is thinking and feeling. Only passage in all the Bible. There are passages that talk about the Bible, they describe the Bible, they talk about fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the only passage in all of the text that actually explains what somebody there might be thinking and, and, and feeling. Verse 23 says he was in great torment. In verse 24, he asked Abraham, please have pity on me and have, have pity on me. And just send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in some water and touch my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. He says that is not a pretty picture. He he begs in verse 27 on behalf of his brothers, please then, if you can't do that, please would you send someone to them and warn them because uh, this place is a place of great torment. It is disturbing the level of suffering that is described in this passage. If that doesn't mess with you, then something is broken in you. It is disturbing the level of torment that the rich man is is facing. And, And if you want a picture of how bad it is, just think of it this way. This rich man would have nothing to do with the beggar Lazarus at all talks about the sores that the dogs would come and lick, right? On, 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 pray on his face and his hands and his fingers. And now this rich man, who wouldn't even throw him a crumb, is begging that this, this dirty beggar, in his mind, would dip his finger in water and stick it in his mouth. It is that bad that he is crying out for some kind of pity or, or mercy. It is a far cry from the wines that he once enjoyed. Knowing what this man is is thinking and feeling um, should hurt us, should make us uncomfortable. Hell is real and it is terrible, but it's actually worse than that. Hell is worse than real and it is worse than terrible. It is also, according to Jesus, irreversible. 
It is irreversible. It gets worse. 25 and 26. Look at the text with me. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comfortable here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. A great chasm has been fixed. It is immovable. He, he goes on to explain. What does it mean that a chasm has been fixed? So that those who want to go from here to you absolutely cannot. Nor can anyone cross from where you are to where we are. It is done. It is finished. It is impossible to change. So... He cries, if nobody can go from hell to heaven, then could you please send someone from heaven to earth to warn my family? To warn my family, right? Look at verse 27 and 28. He answered them, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, if someone from the dead goes, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, here, here's the twist on this story. Jesus is telling a story that is very familiar to his audience. Unfamiliar to us, but very familiar to his audience. And it's very familiar to his audience because it's actually based on an ancient uh, type of folk tale in which somebody would die and, and, and request to go back uh, to the living to warn them about something coming in the afterlife. Now, in all of the ancient tales, when someone uh, would, would die and ask for permission to go back to the living to warn them uh, to do good, in all the ancient folk tales of their day, uh, that, that permission was always granted. Whatever God or gods in the story would always say, absolutely, go ahead, go back and tell them whatever. Permission was always granted. But here Jesus says, I'm sorry, no. I'm sorry, he says, no. No. Nobody is going to go back. Nobody is going to warn them. That's not going to happen. If they don't listen to the scripture, they're not going to believe a man that rises from the dead. No, he says, no. Let that sink in for a moment. Just this reality of this very real, very terrible place that is completely irreversible. That place, the Bible says, is called hell. Third thing I want you to see. Scripture sufficiently reveals our need for a Savior and points us to the person of Jesus Christ. Scripture sufficiently reveals our need for a Savior and points us to the person of Jesus Christ. We uh, can't miss how the story ends. I, I like to call it the Messiah's mic drop moment. If you know what a mic drop is, you've made the final statement. You don't have to say anything else. The rich man, the lover of money, asked for a sign. Interesting, who's Jesus talking to or, or, or about? Of course, remember, he's got a crowd of disciples, but the Pharisees are there. Talked about last week. He, he changed his tone. He was now talking to the Pharisees. And, and, and he calls them lovers of money. The lovers of money always demand a sign. It's interesting, that, that's, that's the representation, right? That, that the Pharisees are 
these rich men. They are these lovers of, of money. And, and, and so uh, this lover of money, this rich man says, give my brothers a sign. Send Lazarus back from the dead to warn them because this place is hell, is what he's saying. This place is hell. Please send someone to warn them. And Father Abraham's response is loving. I want you to hear the words of Jesus, and it's in verse 31. He says to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Of course, there's massive amounts of implication in that. Of course, Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about the fact that they're missing him. I mean, I mean, there's huge statements there. But this morning, I just I want to focus uh, on, on this, that Jesus says this. He says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced by resurrection. What he's saying is the scriptures are enough. If they don't buy in, if they don't believe in the authority of the scriptures, then they won't believe in resurrection because the the first five books will point out your sin. The first five books of the law will... You can't read the first five books of the law and walk away and say, I'm not a sinner. It's impossible. The first five books of the law will point out your sin and the prophets will point to the Savior. The first five books will point out the fact that you're a sinner and and all of the prophets will show you that God has a plan of redemption that is coming. That's the point. It all points to our need for Jesus and the fact that Jesus is is coming. They They won't believe in the resurrection if they reject the authority of Scripture. They won't believe in the resurrection if they reject the authority of Scripture. That's a sad truth. Now, some people don't like that. Maybe you're one of them this morning. You don't like the fact that I'm telling you that you have to accept Scripture as authority. And you don't like it because you don't like any authority. Right? Because we're sinners. We don't like people telling us what to do or what to think. I'm going to study it myself, Kyrie Irving. I've been lied to. The world is flat. I declare it. I don't care. Those pictures, those pictures from space, those are made up. We don't like having to accept something on authority because uh, we have authority issues. I love what C.S. Lewis says about people like that. Maybe you're one of those people. Listen to this. He says, don't be scared by the word authority. Believing things on authority only means believing them because you've been told them by someone you think trustworthy. 99% of the things you believe are believed on authority. I believe there's such a place as New York. He says, I haven't seen it myself. I couldn't prove by abstract reasoning that there must be such a place. I believe it because reliable people have told me so. The ordinary man believes in the solar system, in atoms, in evolution, in the circulation of blood on authority because the scientists say so. Even historical statements in the world is believed on authority. None of us have seen the Norman conquest or the defeat of the Armada. None of us could prove them by pure logic as you would prove a thing in mathematics. We believe them simply because people who did see them have left writings that tell us about them. In fact, on authority. A man who jibbed at authority and other things, as some people do in religion, would have to be content to know nothing all of his life. Do you want to know God? 
You're going to have to take it on authority. You want to know our problem? Why we always feel like we're broken? What's at the heart of the reason we keep doing the same stupid things over and over and over and over again? You're not going to find that at Barnes & Noble in the self-help section. You're going to have to take it on authority. You want to know the solution to it? Why your heart cries out and says there must be more to life than what I'm experiencing? It's here, but you're going to have to take it on authority. If you've got an authority problem, I have news for you. You're going to have a problem with God. Because God only reveals what He wants to reveal about Himself. Period. Period. You've got to take it on authority. So what do we do with a text like this? Terrifying. What do we do? Give you a couple things real quick. Number one, I would challenge you to believe in the Bible. Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Okay? It is, it is absolutely not too late. Unless you think that's just for unbelievers that I'm saying believe in the Bible. I want to tell you, it happens to, to uh, have a whole lot to do with believers too. Okay? Some of you are here, and, 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 and there, there is stuff wrong in your life, and some of the stuff that's wrong in your life is you have been fighting with God over an issue. Maybe a sin issue, maybe it's doubt, maybe whatever it is, you, you, you've been fighting with God, and you're at unrest, and life is not good, and it's not good because you're not accepting God's Word as authority. You want to declare that whatever's going on in your life is not sin, nope, it's not a problem, and God clearly has said, yes, it is. You don't get to be Lord. There is only one Lord. You have to accept it on authority. It's a great story of Billy Graham and his ministry partner, Charles Templeton. Uh, They did great ministry outreach. Templeton was vastly affected by what's called critical uh, scholarship of the Bible. He began to question whether or not the Bible could be true. In fact, he at one point declared to, to Billy Graham, listen, there's no way that God created the whole world in six days. There's just no way, Billy. Scientists have shown us. There's no way it could have happened this way. It really affected Billy Graham to the point that he actually became pretty ineffective as, as a, a teacher. And one day he was invited to a, a retreat center and he was supposed to preach uh, a great, great uh, revival, if you, if you will. And, and he had just preached another revival and it was terrible. He says the outcome was horrible. He was thinking about hanging it up. And he had all these questions and doubts about God in his mind. And finally, one day, he went out and he placed his Bible on a stump. And he fell onto his knees. And he cried out to God, I will accept thy word. I will accept this as thy word. It radically changed the course of his life and his ministry when he finally figured out that he would accept all of it on authority. You can go Google the prayer. He says, I, I don't understand how it can all work with all of the doubts. I don't understand how it can all fit in with all of the signs. I don't know every question that it answers, but I will believe it is thy word. And it's settled. Some of us in this room this morning need an issue settled. And we just need to say to God, God, I don't understand it and I don't see it, but I will accept it as thy word. It'll be settled from here on out. Would you believe the Bible this morning? Would you? Two. I think this text really challenges all believers to pray for the lost. When's the last time you prayed for the lost? When's the last time you thought about the terror of the place called hell? Hell. 
irreversible anguish. Real, terrible, irreversible. We've got to walk out of here saying, I, I'm going to pray for lost people. I'm going to. That, that, that. This, this is the most disturbing text in all the Bible, friends. We can't walk away unchanged. Last, I would say to you, uh, we've got to share what we have. The rich man didn't go to hell because he didn't share. But that was an underlying theme of the passage, that he should have shared what he had with Lazarus. Now, some of you say, I, I, I don't have anything to share. I, I, I'd tell you, you actually have something way more valuable than money to share. Peter, in Acts chapter 3, is walking to the temple to pray, and there's a crippled man sitting outside the gate, beautiful, and he's asking for money, he's asking for alms. And I love what Peter, Peter looks at him and says, friend, silver or gold, I don't have, but what I do have, I give, to you, and I give to you freely in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. At the very least, friends, we have Jesus to share, don't we? I mean, at the very least. And, and, that, and that's the call. Are we going to just store up things for ourselves? Because that, 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 that's, that, that's a sign. It's a sign of, of, of who we are and what our hearts are. And I, I would say to you, I think there's probably a, a tie somewhere about those earthly possessions and our willingness to share others and our willingness to share Jesus. Some of us keep Jesus to ourselves, don't we? Kind of the way that we keep our money to ourselves. <laughs> you have something invaluable to give to this world your testimony, the truth that you know, what God has done in your life. Will you keep it to yourself or will you share the greatest resource you could ever have, which is Jesus Christ himself? Share what you have. Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your goodness. We love you. Ah, We pray over the next few moments you just be glorified in us. It's in your name we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen.